Military murder is an independent project and is not endorsed by the Department of Defense or any military component. The views expressed are those of the host. The content of this podcast is not meant to be legal or medical advice. Warning, this episode contains graphic details of murder and is not suitable for young listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back, True Crime Army. I am your host, Margot, and this is Military Murder, a show where I focus on crimes committed by military members and veterans. But don't worry, you don't have to know anything about the military to listen, I promise. You just have to be a true crime enthusiast. And if that's you, welcome home. Just a reminder before I begin today's episode, I will be going live every Wednesday in April on Instagram Live. So if you want to join me live this month, be sure that you're following me on Instagram at Military Murder Podcast. The live starts at 8 p.m. Central Standard Time every Wednesday in April, so I'll see you there. Also, today's case will be available in short form on my YouTube channel. So if you want the Cliff Notes version with pictures from today's story, follow me at Mama Margot on YouTube. And Margot has a T at the end. All right, when we talk about stalking, the stalker is usually a man. But today's story involves a lady stalker a woman who just couldn't take no for an answer. This jilted lover wanted back into this man's life, but when he said no, she plotted against him. Join me today as I tell you the tragic story of Victor Saucedo. Now, let's dig in. On October 16, 2012, at approximately 3.45 p.m., a call came into the Imperial Beach, California Sheriff's Department. The 911 caller was a young woman who was at the Mariner's Point Apartments on Caspian Way, and this caller was hysterical. Quote, please send someone, please help me, she cried. Quote, he's not breathing, he's not moving, he's so still. The dispatcher asked the woman, what happened? Was he shot, stabbed, what happened? The caller told the dispatcher that there was a gun laying next to the man's body and that the gun belonged to the man. But then she told the dispatcher, miss, I I don't know, I'm not sure what happened. It didn't take long for authorities to arrive at the apartment complex. And when they did, the 911 caller was still at the scene. This time, however, she told police that the man committed suicide by shooting himself. And it was there that responding EMTs and sheriff's deputies found 31-year-old Victor Saucedo. He was lying in the hallway just outside the bathroom in his apartment. It was evident that the man was dead and a handgun was on the floor next to his body. Deputies who arrived on scene initially assumed that the gun that was next to him was the one he used to kill himself. There was just one problem. Victor had multiple gunshot wounds. You know, people who commit suicide don't usually shoot themselves more than once. Finding two gunshots on a suicide victim is rare. But guess what? Victor had nine. I repeat, nine gunshot wounds on his body. Several of the shots would have been fatal in and of themselves. There's no way that he could have kept shooting himself past a couple of these shots. And the thing is that the gun that was next to Victor's body was a 38 caliber revolver. Something to remember about revolvers, or this revolver at least, is that they only hold six bullets. So once you shoot six times, you have to open the cylinder, release the empty casings, reload in order to use it again. I mean, it's absurd to think that someone could shoot themselves multiple times reload, then shoot themselves some more. This was clearly a homicide. 
So witnesses at the apartment complex said that they heard five to six shots, then a pause, then three to four more shots. One of the first pieces of evidence investigators found at the crime scene was a box of ammunition. The type of bullets that were in the box were hollow points, which are designated to open up and flatten on impact and cause extreme damage to the body. When the medical examiner arrived, they noted where the nine shots had hit Victor. Three of the shots had hit him in the face. One had hit him in each shoulder. His back and chest had wounds. One of the shots had gone through his hand as if he held it up in a defensive position. And he had also been shot in the abdomen. The thing about the nine bullets is that they had all been fired at close range. It was total and complete overkill. By now, you're probably wondering, who the hell called 911? Who is this woman? Well, it was 24-year-old Vegas Bray. Vegas was the only witness at the scene in the apartment, but she said she didn't know anything and nothing, nada, zilch, zip. She said she had no memory of what happened at the apartment. What did she mean by no memory? Was she there? Yes or no? Vegas willingly went with the deputies to the sheriff's department because they thought something was fishy about this. And she was interviewed. There, she told authorities her love story. She told authorities that her and Victor had met while they were both in the Navy. However, it wasn't until after they left the Navy that they started dating on and off for about a year. And she told them that she was in love with Victor. But in December of 2011, 10 months earlier, Victor had suddenly cut off all communication with her. She told investigators that out of the blue, he unfriended her on Facebook and then broke up with her over the phone. But that wasn't the end of their time together. No, no, no. For the next several months, she told the investigators that they hooked up from time to time. Friends with benefits, you might call it. The thing about these hookups is that they made Vegas hopeful that they'd soon get back together. But Victor didn't have the same feelings for her. In March of 2012, Victor told Vegas that he didn't want a relationship, period, dot. Vegas didn't take the news well. She went over to his apartment and she threw eggs at his car. Then she slashed one of his tires. But that wasn't the only time she did that. She went over another time and slashed another tire. She reportedly also threw paint, peanut butter, and vinegar on his front door. She went back another time, and that time she slashed two more tires. Victor's friend, Jeremiah Messenger, said that Victor tried to neutralize the situation. Victor often attempted to calm Vegas down and was like, girl, you need to chill. We can still be friends. And the thing is, he really was just trying to be friends. Just friendly, you know? A few weeks before Victor died, Victor offered to co-sign a lease for Vegas so that she could move into a new apartment in the apartment complex where he lived. I mean, that's clearly a nice thing to do because if you know me personally, I don't care who you are. I'm not co-signing jack crap for you. Nope. Sorry, boo. Don't call Mama Margot because she will not sign. But anyway, Victor was a nice guy. What can I say? Well, on the 15th, the night before Victor was going to co-sign for Vegas, she stopped by his apartment and they had a couple drinks. And well, the night didn't end with drinks. Vegas ended up spending the night with Victor doing you know what. And in her typical self, she was swooning over Victor. In the morning, Vegas asked Victor to go to breakfast with her, but he said no. What? Excuse me? Vegas was pretty pissed. I mean, the guy wants to hook up with me, but he doesn't want to be seen in public with me. 
Vegas told the investigators in her initial interview that she told Victor, quote, you're going to me, but you don't want to eat with me, end quote. She left Victor's apartment after that, according to former FBI profiler and host of killer women Candace DeLong, quote, you should never have sex with a crazy ex, end quote. Sage advice, Candace, sage advice. Well, that afternoon, Vegas had plans to meet with a mutual friend of hers and Victor's. And while she was on the freeway driving to meet them, she turned around and went to Victor's apartment instead. The detective asked Vegas, OK, so what happened when you got to Victor's apartment? And Vegas simply said she couldn't remember because, quote, she blacked out. Yep, blacked out. That was her excuse and she was sticking to it. But she said that when she came to, like came out of her blackout, her ears were ringing. Victor was on the floor in a pool of blood and the gun was on the floor next to him. So you're probably thinking, blackout? What? Yeah. According to Vegas, this wasn't her first blackout, though. Nope, she had been having these blackouts long before she met Victor. Vegas told detectives through tears that she had been sexually abused for as long as she could remember. She claimed that as a child, she reported it to her mom and a teacher, but they didn't believe her. Vegas told detectives that she had seen a psychiatrist and was told she had depression and PTSD. Vegas told the investigators that the last thing she could remember was driving on the freeway to go pick up a friend to go to the gym. When she came to, she was on the floor two feet from Victor's body. She could see a gun, ammunition, and her purse nearby. And that's when she decided to call 911. She said that she didn't try to explain to the dispatcher that she had been supposedly passed out because she, quote, didn't know how to explain any of that to them. And during this interrogation, it wouldn't be long until Vegas dropped a bombshell on the detectives. She told them that the 38 revolver found at the scene wasn't Victor's, as she had originally told the dispatcher. The detective asked her if she thought it was unreasonable for him to think that she was the one who killed Victor, to which Vegas answered, quote, it does make sense, but I wouldn't, end quote. Within six hours of the initial 911 call, San Diego County Sheriff's detectives arrested and booked Vegas on murder charges. Hi, everyone. For anyone who follows me on Instagram, I recently posted a picture of me with my kiddos at Disney in front of the Disney castle. But I posted it because my shoulders were looking on fire, defined, toned, and overall just pleasant to look at. So many of you asked me in my DMs for my secret. And of course, my secret is 4 a.m. workouts. But I get the oomph to wake up at 4 a.m. and work out from my pre-workout drink called Energy Explosion. My pre-workout powder was created by world-renowned fitness guru Natalia Melofit. I have been following Natalia for many years now. And in fact, after my second C-section, I hired her as my fitness trainer. And she also helped me postpartum with my third C-section as well. So when she came out with a pre-workout supplement that didn't cause any of the jitters and the crashing, I knew I needed to try it. Energy Explosion helps with energy, and it keeps me going all through the morning hours. Because I take it first thing in the morning, which is when I choose to work out, I no longer require that morning cup of joe. This pre-workout has nootropic ingredients, which significantly help me personally with mental clarity and focus. Which, listen, when you're juggling what feels like hundreds of tasks a day, it truly does help. And guess what? My listeners are getting 15% off your order. What? Yes, please. 
If you're ready to get the pump without the jitters, visit mbodysup.com and enter my code MAMAMARGO at checkout for 15% off your order. That's M as in Mike, body, sup as in Sierra, uniform, papa, papa, dot com. Add energy explosion to your car and use my code MAMAMARGO, that's M-A-M-A-M-A-R-G-O-T for 15% off. Enjoy, and when you use it, please DM me so we can talk about your workouts. Victor Salcedo was born on August 12, 1981, and was originally from Chicago. He joined the Navy in 2000 and became a damage controlman. His job was to respond to any emergency on board the ship, like a fire, or if equipment needed to be repaired under emergency conditions. He also maintained the fire suppression equipment and trained fellow sailors on safety and damage control. Victor served aboard the USS Decatur and USS Samson and had an apartment with several other single sailors that was for sure a bachelor pad. Victor dated a lot of different women, and while he met Vegas while they were both on active duty in the Navy, they didn't start hooking up until after both of them were no longer in the Navy. On October 18th, 2012, just two days after he had been shot and died on the floor in his apartment, an emotional candlelight vigil was held for 31-year-old Victor Saucedo. Eighty people, including friends, family, and former Navy shipmates gathered at the foot of the pier where Victor, who was super fit, by the way, would start his daily morning run. His closest friends had a nickname for Victor. They called him Sauce. He had served in the Navy for over a decade. But then Victor had a big reason for getting out, his son, Jeremiah. He had been in a relationship with Jeremiah's mother, Dominique, but things didn't work out for them. Around the time that they had split up, Dominique found out that she was pregnant with their son, Jeremiah. Victor decided right then and there that being a father was more important than his Navy career. He was attending classes through an online college studying criminal justice so that he could pursue a career in law enforcement. And the biggest motivator in his life was his son he wanted to be able to provide a steady income and benefits. Dominique said at the vigil that, quote, his son was his world, end quote. Little Jeremiah told the crowd, quote, I love him so much, so super much, end quote. Heartbreakingly, he also said, quote, my dad died last night because the ex-girlfriend killed my dad, end quote. One of Victor's shipmates named Chris Haworth was new to the Decatur when Vic was assigned to it. He remembered Victor as being nice to him when others weren't so welcoming to the new guy. Victor had saved Chris from the other sailors giving him pink bellies, which apparently is a hazing practice in the Navy where someone's stomach is hit over and over and over again until it turns red and sometimes even bleeds. Seriously, y'all, y'all need to cut that out. That's that's crazy. Anyway, Chris said at Victor's memorial that even six years after getting out of the Navy, he still thought of him every single day. Victor's son's grandmother, her name was Stephanie Stratton, she was interviewed at the vigil and she told NBC7 San Diego that she knew about the volatile relationship between Vegas and Victor. She said, quote, she cut his tires. She came to his house. She egged him in the middle of the night. She took bottles and threw them at the door and almost hit my grandson, end quote. She went on to say that Victor had called the police several times, but nothing ever came of his complaints. Sobbing, Stephanie told the reporter, quote, he didn't have enough evidence. How much evidence did you need? Now he's dead, end quote. Victor Saucedo was survived by his parents, 
two brothers, one sister, and his son. Detectives needed some background information on Vegas Bray. They wanted to interview Vegas's friends and they wanted to know, were these blackouts constant? Had they witnessed them? Was she emotionally disturbed? Everyone had something different to say about Vegas, but they all agreed on one thing. Vegas had a wicked temper and what set her off the most was jealousy. Vegas Batalia Bray was born in San Diego in 1988. She grew up without a father in the City Heights area of San Diego. And according to the episode of Deadly Women, her mother abandoned her when she was only 11 years old. Despite a rough upbringing, Vegas worked hard in school and got good grades. She was popular at Hoover High School. Her friends said that she always looked good and she was very proud of the way she presented herself. Her senior year, she was voted best smile. Friends said she was a goody two-shoes, always nice and never cursed. She wasn't totally perfect, though. NBC7 San Diego reported that she had two run-ins with the law. One was a traffic violation in 2008, but in 2007, she was arrested for theft. What in the world? Well, she pled no contest to petty theft, and she paid a fine and had to attend a shoplifting rehabilitation program, and that was all. San Diego, as most of you know, is a big military town home to the second largest surface ship base in the Navy called Naval Base San Diego, and it's home to the Pacific Fleet. According to the base's homepage, there are 56 U.S. Navy ships assigned to it, and it consists of 1,600 land acres and 326 acres of water. Suffice it to say that it's a huge influence on recruiting in the area. And with that, Vegas joined the Navy right out of high school in 2007. After training as a machinist mate, she was stationed right back at home. If you remember earlier, I told you that Vegas actually met Victor Saucedo while stationed at Naval Base San Diego. They weren't romantically involved at the time, but they were just friends. It was while she was in the Navy that Vegas realized, you know what, this military life ain't for me. And she just wasn't happy. She was having a hard time adjusting to Navy life, so she applied for and received a non-punitive administrative discharge in 2010. Despite getting what she wanted, which was to be out of the Navy, after her discharge, Vegas was depressed and unhappy with herself. She didn't have any real job experience outside of her machine job in the Navy, so she took a job at a strip club called Little Darlings in Lemon Grove, and there, she wasn't stripping, she was waiting tables. Vegas was proud of how she looked and she spent a lot of time in the gym. And it was while working out that she reconnected with Victor Saucedo. They both liked to work out and both being former Navy, they connected. In 2011, they became more than friends. Friends said that they both had like this sarcastic sense of humor and they spent a lot of time together. Victor's friends liked that they were always together and her friends were hopeful that Victor was the one. But jealousy always seemed to rear its ugly head in their relationship, creating a chaotic environment for both Victor and Vegas. You see, Vegas was jealous, jealous, like real jealous. And Vegas would lose her shit when she knew Victor was talking to other women over Facebook. But the one person she had crazy, like insane anger about Victor spending time with was the mother of his son. Victor's friend, whose name is also Jeremiah, so we'll call him Big Jeremiah. So Big Jeremiah described on Snapped how Victor and Vegas were at a backyard barbecue once 
And when Victor's baby mama called, Vegas made a huge scene about it in front of everyone. Like our girl was not the least bit embarrassed. Big Jeremiah also said that Victor confided in him that Vegas was making threats when they were behind closed doors. Not long before Victor broke things off with Vegas, he told Big Jeremiah that he woke up one morning after Vegas had stayed the night and she was, get this, sitting on his chest with her gun in his face. I'm sorry, what? Victor was over the drama, but Vegas wouldn't let it go. She blew up his phone with threats like direct threats of bodily harm. And not just that, she was stalking Victor too. Neighbors said that they saw her sitting outside his apartment just staring at his place. She would follow him to the mall and while he was inside shopping, she, no kidding, keyed his car. And let's not forget the tire slashing and throwing stuff at his car and apartment door that she admitted to. The only problem is that the street is fair game. It's public property. So her sitting outside his apartment complex was not illegal because at the end of the day, that was all people had seen her do. No one had witnessed her vandalize anything. But Victor, when he reported it to authorities, it didn't seem that they took him seriously. I mean, he's like this big old six foot, one inch dude. And Vegas was only like five foot, two inches tall. The sheriff's office did respond to a complaint that Victor made after Vegas threw a bottle through his window. But after the authorities came out, Victor declined to press charges. Big Jeremiah felt that Victor had hoped that the warning from the police would keep her away from him. But it didn't have any effect on Vegas because she was obsessed with Victor. Victor tried avoiding any interaction with Vegas going so far as borrowing a friend's car so that she wouldn't follow him. He parked his car in a different spot at the apartment complex and even moved to a different apartment to try to shake her off. The man was at his wit's end. He even thought about moving back to Chicago, but he didn't want to leave his son. But Vegas was a legitimate stalker. And even when he switched apartments, she found him. This was when Victor agreed to co-sign the lease so that she could move into the apartment complex. Now, listen up, it seems counterintuitive. But Victor explained to Big Jeremiah that he was hopeful that by co-signing the lease, Vegas would be like, okay, we're cool, and that she would somehow calm down. But Big Jeremiah was worried about his friend. Vegas had told Victor that if she couldn't have him, no one else could. Victor told Jeremiah that he was afraid that she was going to kill him. Victor was actually scared. Recently, I covered two unsolved cases, which I am sure caused you to pause and analyze your inner detective. Well, if you want to hone in on that inner detective, then you need to check out June's Journey. June's Journey is a mobile game that you can play anywhere while connected to Wi-Fi. June's Journey takes you through the main character, June's, adventure to uncover family secrets. Her first task is to uncover the mystery of her sister's death. You will be using your keen eye to spot hidden clues in the immersive scenes that take you across the globe. The scene is set in the 1920s, so it's like going back in time. June's Journey is a hidden object mystery game, and I love playing while waiting for my kids at the bus stop. It allows me to clear my mind from the tasks of the day 
and to refocus on my mommy duties. What I love about June's journey is that not only are you searching for objects, but you can join other players online in a detective club. And then you also get to design this luxurious island estate that is all yours. And if you have friends who play, you can gift each other trees, flowers, and other amazing decorative items. Today, I invite you to escape reality and immerse yourself in the world of June Parker. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Go ahead, download June's Journey today. On April 24th, 2013, Vegas had a preliminary hearing. While a witness was testifying about how Vegas was full of rage and was constantly jealous, Vegas decided she was going to scream during the hearing, shouting things like, I'm not jealous. I was never jealous. Okay, lady, you ain't jealous, but you sure are crazy. I know her attorney was like, sit your ass down right now and don't say another word. But Vegas kept at it. I'm not going to go down for something I don't remember doing. I'm not going down for a murder that didn't even happen. I'm, I didn't know. I'm not doing. I'm not, I'm not going down for something I don't remember doing. And if people can't tell the story straight, this is probably why I'm here in the first place. But Vegas wouldn't calm down. And the judge called for the bailiff to escort her out of the courtroom. Her defense attorney quickly asked for a psychological evaluation, which, of course, the judge granted. And three months later, the results were in. A court-appointed psychologist examined Vegas and deemed her unfit for trial due to mental incapacity. She was transferred to the jail to a mental health facility for psychoanalysis. And that's where she sat for two entire years. On October 15, 2015, Vegas was deemed psychologically fit to stand trial for the murder of Victor Saucedo. While it appeared that no one was Team Vegas, she did have one supporter after Victor's murder, her mother. Her mother, who was not named in the article, well, she told NBC7 that her daughter was a wonderful, loving woman who would never stalk or hurt anyone on purpose. Vegas's mother was quoted as saying, quote, she stayed there and called 911 and they told her to stay there until the police came, end quote. Her mother also said, quote, like sometimes Vegas gets flashes and she can't remember what she did because she gets angry, but she had to be provoked to the utmost point. I never seen or thought anything like this would happen, end quote. The prosecution started the trial by describing how Vegas had stalked Victor after he had broken things off with her. They said she slashed his tires, she keyed his car, she threw paint and smeared peanut butter on his apartment front door. Who does that? Her obsession led to the ultimate act of fatal attraction when she shot him nine times inside his apartment. The defense started with their opening statements telling the court that Vegas was there. She was at Victor's apartment. She was the one who called 911 after all. But they stuck to her initial claim that she had no memory of the encounter that morning. They said she came to and he was lying on the floor dead. The blackout, the defense claimed, was due to her mental illness. They claimed that there was no intent to kill because Vegas wasn't aware of her actions. You see, in California, if someone is not legally conscious at the time of a crime, they cannot be held liable for it. But prosecutors were like, well, jury, let me tell you this. Prosecutors presented evidence from Vegas's social media accounts where she made statement after statement that she was willing and capable to cause harm to Victor. 
One post from August 22nd, 2012, which was two months before the shooting, said, what do you do when you find out that your ex was cheating on you during the last four months of your relationship? Dot, dot, dot. Another post said in part, quote, I literally want to just kill Vic, end quote. The prosecutor was like, hello, this shows her state of mind months before she actually committed the murder. Vegas also had files on her computer that talked about how much she hated Victor. But the single most damning piece of electronic evidence was a file she titled The Bucket List. Get this. The bucket list was broken down into phases. Yes, phases. Like she was going on some weird ass covert mission phases. Phase one said, block the people I need to block from my Facebook account. Send all notes to my email, including everything I found on my ex. Phase two, buy a gun. Clean out my car, my purse, and pack everything away. Send my family a goodbye video. It's the last time they'll hear my voice. Phase three, find him, kill him. And the very last item on her list was to kill herself. This girl, what? She was talking about she blacked out and didn't know what happened. But here it was as clear as day in black and white. The deputy district attorney then presented evidence that Vegas was taking clear steps in accordance with her bucket list. And it appeared that by August 1st, 2012, Vegas was already on phase two because the prosecutor presented evidence that she purchased a 38 caliber revolver on that date. And that was the same gun that had been used to kill Victor. The prosecutor had plenty of evidence to show that Vegas had planned and carried out this murder. On August 3rd, 2012, Vegas drafted a memo on her cell phone complaining about how Victor had cheated on her. She ended the memo with this, quote, he was so full of shit and lies. I said was because this dumbass no longer exists. Goodbye, Victor C. Salcedo, you stupid ass, end quote. Of course, this raised the question. If Vegas was ready and capable of murder, why did she wait two months to go through with the actual murder? And the prosecutor's theory about this was that Vegas was hoping against all odds that she could win Victor back. On October 5th, 2012, Vegas saved another memo on her phone. That memo read, quote, just say that she was obsessed with killing him, end quote. What in the world? Is she referring to herself in the third person? Sadly, Victor had no real idea who he was messing with when he let her into his apartment on October 15th. That night, as I mentioned earlier, they had drinks and they even had sex, likely causing Vegas to cling on to hope. But in the morning, when Victor refused to go out to eat with her, a switch was flipped in her brain. She was shocked, angry, and likely ashamed but she wasn't so shaken up that she didn't go do normal day-to-day -day things. No, 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 no. After leaving Victor's that morning, pissed off, Vegas met her half-brother at the DMV and acted totally normal. Like he didn't, his name is Santiago and he didn't see anything out of the ordinary. Then Vegas went home. She loaded her gun, took her ammunition and went back to Victor's house. The defense called a psychiatrist who explained that Vegas's state of mind during the shooting was in a, quote, disassociated state, 
a post-traumatic state in which she was not in control of her actions, end quote. The psychiatrist went on, quote, she was in control of some of her actions, obviously. She was able to drive and do routine things, but this was in an automatic way, not a conscious choice way that she was, so to speak, on autopilot in a rage state, end quote. But, you know, Vegas was seen by witnesses walking through the apartment complex just after 3 p.m. She entered Victor's apartment, shot him six times, then, reminder, reloaded her revolver and shot him three more times. All nine of the bullets hit Victor. In all that adrenaline and rage, she didn't miss her mark, not even once. That raises the question as to why she didn't go through with the last item on her bucket list kill herself. Prosecutors called her half-brother Santiago to the stand, and he had an answer to this. What he had to say was absolutely incredible. Vegas had called him right after she shot Victor. According to the trial transcript, she called Santiago and told him that she loved him, and then she quickly hung up. Santiago testified that he felt like something was wrong, and he called her back over and over again until she finally answered his third call. He asked her, hey, sis, like, what's going on? And she told him, quote, I think I shot Victor. I shot him. I killed him. I think I killed him. He's dead, end quote. There you have it. Vegas didn't black out. She wasn't in a rage state. She consciously made a phone call and told her brother what she had done. She was calling him to say goodbye, her intent to kill herself. But Santiago was able to talk her out of it and convinced her to dial 911 instead. The prosecution told the court that Vegas, now she had a problem. She had intended to kill herself, but now she had a dead body. How was she going to explain that? And this is when she conjured up that blackout cover story. Kind of convenient that she couldn't remember anything, right? The defense leaned on Vegas's mental health history, painting her as a troubled young woman struggling with her emotional issues. They told the court about her difficult upbringing and alleged sexual abuse when she was a child and the fact that she had been diagnosed with PTSD. She had also told the detectives in her interview that she was suicidal and had thoughts of running into the ocean and drowning herself. And you guys, this story is going to get even crazier. One of the things that Vegas Bray told detectives was that she had an alter ego and her alter ego's name was Baby Bray. According to Vegas, Baby Bray was a comic book character that she came up with in middle school. The way she described Baby Bray to the detectives was that her alter ego, quote, handles a lot for me, end quote. More like a separate personality, right? According to Vegas, Baby Bray was the one who killed Victor. She told them, quote, like, it had to be her. She did it, end quote. What? Like, it wasn't me, Vegas. It was Baby Bray. That b- is cray. Honestly, you think you've heard it all, but then you hear this and you're just astonished. The defense detailed how Vegas wasn't legally conscious on October 16th, 2012, the day of the murder. They said she wasn't aware of what she was doing at the time that Victor was shot, meaning at the time she was shooting Victor, she did not know she was shooting Victor. They hoped that this would be enough to cast doubt for the jury. The prosecution closed with the argument that this wasn't a murder done in the heat of passion. No, 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 no. She wrote about it. She talked about it. She made a freaking list about it. 
She planned this murder. She drove home, got her gun, then drove back to Victor's house. She shot him, reloaded, then shot him some more. That doesn't sound like someone who isn't aware of what they're doing. The deputy district attorney stated to the court that Vegas committed the ultimate act of obsession. The jury deliberated and they returned their verdict on November 2nd, 2015. Guilty of first-degree murder. In California, the term for first-degree murder is 25 years to life with a consecutive 25 years added on when a firearm is used. Vegas Bray's sentencing hearing was the following week on November 8, 2015. Victor's brother, Antonio, was given the opportunity to speak about his brother. He told the court that Vic was a good person. And then he turned to look at Vegas and said, quote, he knew what you were capable of, end quote. Antonio went on talking about little Jeremiah, Vic's son, and told the court that Jeremiah wanted to build a time machine so that he could go back and stop his dad from meeting Vegas. Antonio told Vegas, quote, you took his hero away, end quote. Now, if that doesn't just break your heart, I don't know. Vegas's defense attorney pleaded to the judge for leniency based on Vegas's childhood trauma. The attorney stated, quote, due to the severity of the trauma that Vegas suffered at a very young age, she developed no resiliency, no coping skills to manage feelings of rejection, abandonment and loss, end quote. After considering all the evidence presented at sentencing, the judge reiterated that the jury found her guilty of first-degree murder. He pointed out that the jury could have easily reduced the severity of the decision to second-degree murder or manslaughter or, heck, even involuntary manslaughter. But they didn't. They went through the evidence and made the determination that Vegas Bray knew exactly what she was doing on the afternoon of October 15, 2012, and she killed Victor Saucedo in cold blood. And with that, the judge sentenced Vegas to 50 years to life, plus a $5,000 fine. After the sentencing hearing, little Jeremiah's grandmother, Stephanie Stratton, she spoke to reporters. She said, quote, you can't just say I shot your son six times and I reloaded the gun and shot him three more times. That's supposed to fix something? Not this time, end quote. Victor's brother, Antonio, also spoke to the reporters. He said that Vic's son, little Jeremiah, was traumatized by his father's death at first, but that he was doing better. He commented on the sentence saying, quote, whatever was going to happen was going to happen. It wasn't going to make a difference. Put my brother here next to me or put my brother next to his son, end quote. Vegas appealed the verdict in July of 2016 on the grounds that the jury had not been provided complete information on what constitutes the lesser charge of involuntary manslaughter. Her defense claimed that certain parts of the elements of the offense were omitted when the jury was receiving the instructions from the court. Basically, what the defense claimed was that the court left out important parts of the standard instruction by writing their own. The first part of the instruction read as follows. This is the instruction that the judge ended up giving. It said, quote, When a person commits an unlawful killing but does not intend to kill, then the crime is involuntary manslaughter, end quote. Now, the California standard instruction for involuntary manslaughter reads as follows, quote, when a person commits an unlawful killing but does not intend to kill and does not act with conscious disregard for human life, then the crime is involuntary manslaughter, end quote. Clearly, the first one is a little bit easier to understand than the second. Anyway, 
So there is a lot more to it. But in April of 2017, the Court of Appeals denied Vegas's appeal. They felt that with all the evidence presented at trial, even if the jury had been given the standard instruction, they were not going to find her guilty of involuntary manslaughter. In the words of an upset child, they told Vegas, go kick rocks. In June of 2017, Vegas's defense team appealed to the California Supreme Court with the same claims about the involuntary manslaughter jury instructions. The petition was shot down without comment from the court. But her defense team tried again in June of 2017 when they filed another appeal, but this time in federal court. But in January of 2020, that appeal was denied. Vegas Bray is currently serving her time at the Central California Women's Facility in Chowchilla. She will be eligible for parole in 2066. She will be 78 years old. All right, I can't wait to see everyone this Wednesday where I will go live on Instagram at 8 p.m. Central Standard Time. We can discuss this story or any other true crime story that you may have in mind. And also make sure that you follow me on YouTube at Mama Margot with a T at the end to see the video pertaining to today's story. Shout out to Myrtle for researching and writing today's episode. The sources for this episode include episodes of Snapped and Deadly Women and articles in Casetax.com, NBC San Diego, ABC News San Diego, Mirror.com, Patch.com, Oxygen True Crime, California Inmate Locator, Navy.com, and Naval Base San Diego's homepage. Military Murder was created by Mama Margot Productions. This episode's executive producers are Nicole, Falcon 13, Bob, Alicia, Tina, and Jen. This month's newest associate producer is Cody. This month's newest assistant producer is Bechtilda. The music was created by Tyops. Until next time, remember, you never really know what someone is capable of. So remain vigilant always. You have a fabulous week and I'll keep digging to bring you another military murder story next time. I was working on our podcast. I don't want to.